Hi, everybody. It's good to be here with you. Uh, my name is uh, Pastor Billy Park. I'm the pastor at Grace Community Presbyterian Church, which meets in Swanee this afternoon. So I'm used to uh, sleeping in in the mornings <laughs> on Sunday. Um, but uh, it's good to be here with you. Pastor Young is a real good friend of mine. And uh, this church is a sister church of our church. We started five and a half years ago. And you guys starting just about a year and a half ago. And uh, just a pleasure to be here with you guys and see your church flourishing uh, in the Lord. And so it's very good for me to be here with you. Uh, let's turn to God's holy word. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And um, I don't know if you stand in your church when you read scripture. Do you do that? You don't do that? Okay. We stand in our church, but uh, you can remain seated. Um, this is God's holy and inerrant word. Paul called to be, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is God's holy word. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, I give you thanks and praise for who you are, and thank you for this opportunity. Pray for your blessing upon this word today. May it be an encouragement to your people to draw near to you and to love one another in our faith, hope, and love in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A college senior wrote to his parents, and this is what the senior said. Dear mom and dad, I'm sorry I haven't written in a while, but much, to, much has happened to me in the past few weeks. I haven't had a chance to contact you since I've been in, in the hospital. Don't be alarmed, the doctor said I would be okay. I'm actually quite lucky that I only have two broken legs and a mild concussion since I jumped from my third-story dorm room window. I had to jump because of the fire that destroyed everything in my room. I also want to let you know that I fell in love with a nurse at the hospital, and we are planning to get married. Though she is 20 years older than me and of a different race, we both agree that it makes no difference. 
You might be shocked at this point, so let me tell you now that everything I've written to you is not true. The truth is, I failed three final exams. I just wanted you to have the proper perspective before I told you. Sincerely, your son. <laughs> I don't know if it's smart or dumb to write that, but uh, having the proper perspective is very important, especially when you're going through troubles that we face. Uh, troubles that come in the present. You know, we are. You know, we have political problems today. We have social problems and different kind of problems and. Uh, you know, I believe your church is thriving, but even in a good church, there could be problems within a church, uh, problems in the family, in the present. But often, a lot of the present problems that we face have roots in the past, things that have happened in the past that are unresolved, unreconciled conflict, and things that are problems in the near future or the far future where, like, where is my life heading? Your problem is not right now. Actually, your problem is in the future and you're worried about it today, and your problem stems from the future. And having the proper perspective is very important in dealing with these problems. And Paul is about to lay the wood to the Corinthian church. I believe Pastor Young preached on 1 Corinthians. I saw one of the sermons from 1 Corinthians, and I'm not sure if he was going through a series or just that sermon. But 1 Corinthians is full of problems. If you ever wonder, you know, like the early church, they were perfect. You know, we today have a lot of problems in the church, but the early church had a lot, you know, is perfect. But, you know, if you read the book of Philipp uh, uh, First Corinthians, you'll find maybe the First Corinthians, the Corinthian church was the worst. I mean, maybe there were others that were, were, were bad too, but they faced a lot of problems. And in this letter, 1 Corinthians, um, and there were probably more than two, two are preserved, there were uh, two other letters that First and Second Corinthians refers to, actually 1 Corinthians refers to a prior letter, 2 Corinthians refers to a letter in, in between First and Second Corinthians. But we have two preserved, and in, in particularly this first one, there are a lot of problems, and let me just summarize some of them. I have all these verses, but I will, I will just tell you the titles. Uh, quarrels and divisions. And let me just read that verse from chapter 1, verse 11 through 12. I appeal to you, brothers. This is right after my reading. So if you just heard what I read in, in the scripture, first nine verses, you'll sound like they have a great relationship. Paul loves this church, and he does, in fact, love this church. But you would think there's no problems at all. But when you get to verse 11, you realize they have some serious problems. And I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. In chapter 3, it talks about spiritual immaturity, how they are infants and need to drink milk and not solid food. And, you know, we need to drink milk as well, but, you know, this is a, I fed you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready. And talking to them that they are 
worldly and spiritually immature. They had an improper view of those who lead. They followed. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. And they, they were having the, their favorite leaders. They had pride and arrogance of you know, these Greeks, the Corinthians. And uh, they, they had issues with pride and arrogance. Sexual immorality was rampant in the city. Actually, to Corinthianize was, uh, it was a slang for like fornication. Uh, the, this city was known for their sexual immorality. And also false acceptance of sinners and false notions of Christian liberty. There were lawsuits among the believers and the Corinthian church was asking a lot of questions because there was confusion about these things, about marriage in chapter 7, about food sacrificed to idols in chapter 8 through 10, about Christian liberty, about the Lord's Supper, chapter 11, about spiritual gifts, chapter 12 to 14, about the resurrection of the body, chapter 15, and about giving in chapter 16. And Paul deals with all these issues because there were questions and problems in this church. And you would think with all these problems, Paul might think that this church was not a true church. That's a false church. That's not a real church. But he actually addresses them in the beginning of the letter in a way that you would think there were no problems. Like, for instance, in verse, verse 2, he says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, this is specifically to these people, and he says, to those sanctified, already done. Now, sanctification is an ongoing process, but here, he's, those sanctified, he's actually using this word, like justified. You have been made holy. You are holy in Christ Jesus. So even though the sanctified is used, it's actually our justification. Called to be saints, together with the, all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he calls them sanctified, and he calls them saints, which comes from the root word holy, holy ones. And so the NIV says, uh, um, uh, call to be holy. Okay. And the, that word is not holy, but holy ones. You are the holy ones. So it's saints. And in verse 3, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a common statement that Paul makes of almost all his letters. He begins with grace and peace. And it's full of positivity and blessing. Is this just a, a manner of just being nice before you kind of whack them with the truth? <laughs> I believe it's much more than that, and I'm sure that's part of it. He's being cordial. But he continues on, Paul continues on, in verse 4, and he is thankful to God for the Corinthians. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. And he knows they have serious problems, but he knows that these serious problems can only be dealt with with a proper perspective. And he so, so he lays out for them 
who they are in Jesus Christ. Now, this is an important thing for you to remember. When you go through difficulties or challenges in your life as an individual or as a group, that you need to have an eternal perspective. And this is what Paul is doing in the beginning of 1 Corinthians. He's laying out an eternal perspective. He is not merely being cordial. He is pointing them to their calling. He is not blind to the problems. He addresses the problems. In the whole letter, he addresses them very specifically. But he knew that God is in control of every situation and circumstances. So what is Paul's eternal perspective? And I'm going to lay out for you two eternal perspectives. There's at least two, probably more, but two is that that's reflected in this uh, first few verses of uh, 1 Corinthians. Paul's eternal perspective, or Paul had an eternal perspective of God's calling. He knew the God who calls is also the God who is faithful to complete what he has called his chosen to do and to be. So Paul himself calls himself, Paul called by the will of God, by the will of God, called to be an apostle. And you might be familiar, that word apostle means sent one. So he had a calling from God. And if you know the story, Jesus literally called him out of heaven, voice from heaven. He saw a light in the road to Damascus, and he received a calling from God. And our calling might not be that dramatic, but this is not unique to his, his calling is an apostle. So, but the calling of the Corinthians is they are called to be saints. So he, he points to these, this calling of God. And he gives thanks to God for the Corinthians. He doesn't thank the Corinthians. Oh, you guys are awesome. He said he thanks God. And this is a good, remember, a good way to pray when you give thanksgiving. Thank, thank God and not people. Because sometimes we can thank people. And there are, there are places you should thank people. I'm not saying you shouldn't thank people at all. But thank God, not people. Thank God for people and not things or more than things. And that's what you see the pattern of uh, in, in Paul's letters. He thanks God. God for people, right? more than things. Thank God for things that are spiritual things, the spiritual blessings, more than physical things. Now, is it wrong to thank God for physical things? But a lot of times we thank you, God, for my car, thank you for my house. Those are physical things. It's very easy to thank God. If things are good, you can thank God for those physical things. You should thank God for spiritual things. And more than spiritual things, you should thank God for people and the way God is working in people. And he has this perspective and shown in his prayer. And so he has a perspective of God's calling 
which is rooted in eternity past, shown up existentially in his life through God's intervention. And for him, it was a direct intervention. For us, it comes in a lot of different ways. But God intervenes by his grace, changing our hearts through other people, through many different means, rooted in the eternal call of God. And here, God's plan from eternity past, and he sees that. And so verses like uh, throughout the Paul's letters, uh, you see this. For instance, my, one of my favorite verses is Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And Philippians will probably be, even though Ephesians is my favorite theological book, Philippians is my favorite kind of heart book. Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus. So he who began a good work in you, he who called you, will carry it on. Romans 8.28, for we know that for those who love God and all things work together all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Paul knows that God doesn't just call and give up on us. I called you, but forget it. I, I gave up. No, God's grace is sufficient for us. And he, he's, when he calls you, it is sure and effective. Um, and Paul knows that God did not call us or give us his grace to those who he deemed worthy. We were not, it was not because we were worthy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 29 says, For your calling, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. So it's not, he didn't call us because he saw something. Hey, I want to choose you because you're, you're better than the other people. No, he chose us because we are weak. He chose us because we would not choose him. We could not choose him. And even of himself, he says that of uh, the Corinthian church, but he says of himself, I am the, in chapter 15, verse 9 through 10, I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. One of my favorite verses. His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me. I am, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And so here he knows his calling is not because he's unworthy. Grace is undeserved favor. So when we look back at the past, so his eternal perspective came from looking at what God did in your life. 
looking at your calling. And here, it's the calling to God. You know, a lot of a lot of Christians will struggle with like, God, what do you want me to do? You know, what ministry? How do you, how do you want me to be part of this church? How do you want me to serve? Should I serve on the praise team? Should I be a welcomer? Should I do Bible study leading? What should I do? And you can struggle over that. Those are legitimate struggles. But God's calling is for you to be holy, the kind of person you are. God called you to be a people, a kind of person. So when you remember that, you're having an eternal perspective of God at work in you in the past that moves you into the present. And the other eternal perspective is that he had an eternal perspective of judgment day. Not only what God called in the past, but a day when God will make all things right. The end. Judgment Day sounds scary, you know. There was a movie, Judgment Day, you know, like there's a you know, there was a period of time in the nineties, I think it was nineties, was it nineties song? Judgment Day, Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> Armageddon, you know, like all these movies about the end of the world, you know. And then then the post since the apocalypse happened in the nineties, everything is post apocalyptic now, <laughs> after the assuming that everything is gone. But uh, what happens after? But, you know, in the Bible, that there's a judgment day and then there is eternity. New heaven and new earth. And he had this perspective of judgment day, which is the day of the Lord. And he believed in the reality of the day of the Lord. And he speaks about it all throughout his letters. And if you don't understand Paul's eschatology, that he has a future vision not only merely of the road to Damascus of his past, but something future. And it was this belief in the future, the day of the Lord, which was a day of vindication for those who trust in the Lord and a day of judgment upon the unrighteous, where God will reveal all things on the last day. He will make right all wrongs and punish the wicked. God cannot be mocked, and he will not be mocked in the end, and only those in the Lord will be able to stand on that day. That is why Paul lived his life with an ultimate day in view. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 13. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. What's that day? Judgment day. The day of the Lord. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes. Judgment day. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart then each one will receive his commendation from the Lord. 1 Corinthians 9.25, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we 
an imperishable, an imperishable crown. When, what is, when does that come? On Judgment Day. On the Day of the Lord. Where those in the Lord will be vindicated. Paul knows that this mortal life is not it. He, he sets his vision on heaven. He longs for the redemption of all things in chapter 15. He says, O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? Or actually, I got that wrong. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 58 of chapter 15, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So Paul lived his life with a view to the eternity past, God's calling. He lived with a view to eternity future, the judgment day but he lived in the present with that perspective. So he dealt with the problems and issues that were troubling the church, that troubled himself, but he dealt with them with that eternal perspective. For ourselves, How do you look at your past? How do you look at your future? If you look at your past, sometimes you might feel, oh, man, I should have done that better. Do you have regrets? Look at me. I'm so, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 54 soon, so... And, you know, this message is actually very much for me. I need to hear this today. Oh, look at me. I'm 54 years old. What have I done? What have I done with my life? Where am I going? What am I going to accomplish in my life? And sometimes people wrestle with this, and this is our present. And you can have guilt over things that you did that you shouldn't have done. Oh, man, I should have studied more. I should have done this. I made the wrong decisions. I made a lot of mistakes. You have guilt and shame over the past. But sometimes it's even pride. Oh, man, I used to be so good. Everybody used to love me. Now, look where I am. Pride in the past. You know, when you get older, I look at, tell my kids, you know, I was this great athlete when I was younger. I can't jump anymore, but one time I used to be able to jump and do all these things, you know, always the glory days. You know, it's pride. I deserve better. That's what it's saying. You look at all the stuff I used to do. I, I deserve better now. God, why are you not making things better for me now? Pride. About the past. Who are you? And so we get stuck in our guilt and shame and pride in the past. Holding on to stuff that we need to move on from. Both the good and the bad. Learn from them 
build on them or reconcile them and move forward. And then our future. Where are you going? You know, if you're single, when am I going to get married? What am I going to do with my life? How am I going to pay my bills tomorrow? Or what am I going to do in 10 years? And you worry about the future and worry causes paralysis. Or you end up grabbing stuff to, and getting your life in order because you have a little more foresight. But your foresight is not an eternal perspective. Your foresight can be worldly wisdom. You work hard. You save. You, know, you save your retirement. You know, if, you're, if you're young in your 20s and you save like probably $20, $30 a month even, you can almost become a millionaire if you invest rightly. So, you know, some kids, you know, 20 years old, they're starting investing and they're guaranteed to be a millionaire when they're, you know, 60 years old. You know, there's people who do that. that that's wisdom, worldly wisdom. Not necessarily bad worldly wisdom, but it's not looking far enough. It's not looking to heaven. It's not looking at eternity. So we can work for idols. Pride can be not only in sin comes in a lot of different ways, guilt and shame, but pride in the past. It can come in worry and anxiety in the present, lack of faith, but also your pride that you got it together and you're actually working not for God's glory, but you're working for idols. As John Calvin said, the heart is an idol factory. It makes idols of everything. And I just, uh, actually, I was listening to one of the um, messages of CCEF, and I, some of you people went to CCEF, and um, I listened to Joe Novison's talk, and in it, he actually mentioned something that I wanted to use today. And he quoted Augustine, St. Augustine, not August here. Where's August? <laughs> St. Augustine, uh, the great theologian from the 5th century. And Augustine in, said this Latin phrase, homo incurvatus in se, which meant man or human always curving to self. And so he used this phrase, uh, Homo incurvatus in se, meaning that the, the humans are always curving their trajectory to self. So Augustine, uh, let me read the quote from an article. This is from a different place. But Augustine did not just use one metaphor for sin. He believed that pride is the beginning of sin. In pride, there is always a turning from God to self. So always sin is always curving to self. Where we need it to be Godward, oh, inward. Instead of looking at God's calling in the past, we look inward. Guilt, our own guilt and shame and pride. Instead of looking at God's future for us, we kind of look inward at our own worry and anxiety and our working for idols Rather than remain obedient to the Creator, all of humanity has chosen the prideful path of finding its own good apart from God. 
But sin is not only pride, it is also misplaced love, choosing to love self above God. We are created by God to love God supremely, yet in sin we turn inward, rejecting God and giving our glory, greatest adoration to the almighty self. So man always curving himself inward to himself. Selfishness. Self. The root of sin. Instead of curving to God, we are curving to ourselves. Instead of having the eternal perspective towards our calling of what God has done in the past and what God is doing in the future and what he will do in the present, we look inward. Now, inward, upward is good, but inward, oh, worry, anxiety, guilt, shame is not good. So how do we live in the present? And I'll leave with you three words which you are all familiar with, unless you've been living somewhere not Christian. <laughs> you know, and this culture is heavily influenced by Christianity, even though it's influenced by a lot of other things. Faith, what's next? Hope, and what's next? Love. Faith, hope, and love. How do you live in the present with the eternal perspective? Faith is backward looking. Faith in what God has done, what God has done in Jesus Christ, what God has done in my life, and what God has done in other people, what God has done in this church. Hope is future looking, what God will do at the end of days, what God is doing even in a corrupt generation, what God is doing in my life, in my church, what God will do in the future. And living in the present with love, with forgiveness, reconciling, peacemaking, holding on to faith and hope, moving in love. That's a great picture of those words. Think about it. Love in the present, holding on to faith in the past, hope in the future. <laughs> Faith, hope, and love. You know, it's easy these days to get very cynical, very discouraged. And I myself, you know, I think I would say, uh, I don't think I'm in a terrible place or anything like that, but just, you know, just easy to get ticked off sometimes. Not having the right perspective and how to deal with people. And this is a reminder we should confront the problems facing us today. But we need to do it with faith, hope, and love. Remember 1 Corinthians 13. That's in 1 Corinthians. 
in the place that it deals with the most problems of the church. Faith, hope, and love. That is to live with the eternal perspective. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for who you are. Thank you for this wonderful church and for the blessing that you have poured upon it and how you have formed this church, Lord, uh, just a year and a half ago. And we thank you for the work of Pastor Young and all the members of this church. And we ask you for your continued blessing upon this ministry, that you would help them to thrive and flourish, to encourage each other, that they would live together with an eternal perspective, with faith in what Jesus has done for them and their calling to be saints, sanctified in Christ Jesus, and that they know that they will stand on that day of judgment, not because of any work of our hands, but because what Jesus has done when all is said and done, we will stand with Jesus in the end, the last day. And Lord, today may we stand in love love for Christ and love for people. May we stand in faith, hope, and love moving forward by your Holy Spirit in Christ, by your Spirit. May you help us to grow in you, holding on to the faith that was once preserved for us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.